This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. Our guest is Patrick Burke, who has advised more than 200 successful startups, mergers and acquisitions, and other business deals. He's seen a lot in all of that, a lot of mistakes. He joins us to talk about the biggest mistakes that would-be business owners are making. Let's uh, set the table for our listeners and our viewers, if you would, by telling them a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Well, I I started off as an educationally confused college graduate in that I uh, was an accounting major undergrad, uh, but I knew I was going to law school. And I went to law school and fully expected to practice law, but then I got an offer from an accounting firm to do tax work and thus began my career as a CPA. So I took the CPA exam after law school, which was really a poor idea because it's, <laughs> it's uh, much better to take that test after you've just taken the course. But, oh, well, that's uh, um, water uh, under the bridge at this point. I mostly work with family businesses, and uh, a lot of them are startups. A few now are you know, into the second, third generation, so we're going through some succession plan issues. Along the way, I have invested in some businesses. I've started some businesses on my own, um, made every mistake in, the, in my book, practically. Uh, I think I maybe missed one. Uh, so anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's been a fun ride, but it's also been an educational ride. And I think you know, one of the things that I hope that the book does is it prevents people from making the, the, the big mistakes. And uh, one of the things that I'm, I like to say about business is it's, Unlike championship golf, where you need to make spectacular shots to win, business is more like weekend golf, where you have to manage the course, you know, and don't make the big mistake, and you'll probably beat your opponent, right? So that's my take on, on business. Don't, don't try to do the ordinary things extraordinarily well. Now, would you tell our listeners and viewers the name of the book? Because that kind of will set the uh, stage for what we'll be talking about. Well, that's good. I even have a copy of it here. Yes. Oh, so I'm the surprised. 10 biggest, 10 biggest mistakes, uh, business, biggest business mistakes and how to avoid them. So I, I take the reader through a sort of a journey with an entrepreneur. And I start off with the end that it's the day he's selling his business. And he's looking back on his career and saying, how did I get to where I'm going to today when there's going to be an ACH, ACH of a sizable amount going into my account? And he, he's reflecting, thinking there's 10 times when I could have dropped this ball that I didn't. Uh, and that's so I, each chapter is set up as his situation, what he did or didn't do, and uh, sort of uh, an overview of that of that particular mistake and then you know my various ruminations on how one avoids that so uh now you've you've seen these mistakes and you said you have made all but one in the book uh i guess i should ask which one of those 10 haven't you made uh well i, I <laughs> thank you that's an interesting question um so my uh Quick story. So my youngest daughter was, um, she had a job. She was working as a producer in an audiovisual company, and she decided everybody there was just 
it was just a two, it was a great environment. Everybody was 10, 15 years older. And she said, Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to move to Florida and I've got an opportunity to open up, to help somebody open up some pure bar locations, which is a, you know, an exercise studio. And she had some experience with that. And we had a family friend who bought a couple of those in New York city. So we knew a lot about them. And so it was like, Oh, okay. Well, that sounds, and my wife came to me and said, she's not moving to South Florida. I already have, you have one daughter there. I don't want them both there. She needs to stay here. Don't you, don't you help people start businesses? If so, why don't you start one, help her start one? So, um, so we sat down, my daughter, Ellie and I, and I said, you know, what would you like to do? And she said, well, if I'm going to do this, I'd like to open a dry bar franchise. So it's, they do hair blowouts and Cincinnati doesn't have one because Cincinnati, as Mark Twain said, you know, he wants to be here when the world ends because everything comes here 10 years late. Right. So, um, that's, uh, as, as it turned out, I had just read dry bar had taken on a bunch of private equity money. So they didn't really need franchisees. So they, uh, and I, I said, Ellie, what do you think? She goes, I know exactly what I want to do. I want to, I know what it looks like. I know where I want to put it. So let's get going. So in the book, I, I relate this story uh, a little bit differently uh, than, the, than, than it truly happened. But it, you know, there were a lot of, there was a lot of capital expense involved and I did fund losses for her for a few years. And, you know, probably the smart money would have said, it's time to go. But I could tell that she had built a brand. I mean, she had over a thousand discrete customers. And I knew that you know, the, the numbers were ticking up. It still wasn't making much money. And clearly she wasn't making much money. But I knew to me, you know, a brand, the hardest thing to do is build a brand, right? And I think she had done that part of it and the rest of it would come. And it has. So uh, that's a mistake I didn't make. You know, I think uh, I was certainly scratching my head about why I'm, I'm continuing to fund this, but then it, I, I took a step back and said, no, wait a minute, you know, I can afford to do this. And, you know, she was right. She said, we're almost there. And, you know, I was wrong. She was right. And it, that might've been the first time that happened, but it wasn't the last. I, I would imagine she will remind you of it every now and again. Well, that, that's, that's a, that's your daughter's prerogative, right? Uh, of the of the other mistakes that you list in the book, what would you say is the worst one or the most prevalent one that you see most often? Oh, uh, I think that's actually a pretty. I, there's actually two, but but the 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 one that I would say that is most pro, uh, yeah, I'd say the most prevalent is somebody has an interest in a in a, a certain kind of a business. Let's say. I mean, the, the restaurant is the classic example, right? I really enjoy dining out. I know a lot about wines. You know, I read the gourmet magazines. Um, I'm going to open a restaurant. And uh, what I find is that, you know, if someone's going to start a business and they, I always say, if you're not the most valuable player at the best, at the top position, or the second most valuable player at almost every other position, you're not going to add enough value to this business to make it successful. And too many people think, well, you know, I can, you know, I've been good at, I'm a good uh, accountant or I'm a good dentist, or I was a good businessman with Procter and Gamble and I can go out and it's like, well, you know, it's, it takes something beyond that. And particularly I'd say most businesses, if it's a small business, you know, it's a personality cult to begin with. Usually that personality is, is really good at sales and some maybe product design. Um, but, 
generally just being good at administration, you know, the, of the three stools, you know, sales, production, administration, being a good administrator isn't going to necessarily make you a success at business. I would have one, the only uh, caveat I would have to that is unless, unless it's a franchise, in which case in, in, a, in a franchise situation, I look at that and say, the hardest thing for a, for business to develop, as I mentioned earlier, is a brand. And of course, a, a brand is a sustainable advantage. And if you're buying a, you know, a, a Little Caesars or a Wendy's, they've already established a brand and they continue to, um, their continued research and like Wendy's just added breakfast, right? So I, and I happen to know that was a long time coming. They did a lot of research and they're killing it. They're, you know, it's sales across all franchisees are up seven, eight percent. So that was a good. So that's, they're already doing that for you. So you don't have to be the, the special idea person. You have to follow the, the rules, have your capital ready, but you know, it's, it's all about being a, a, uh, a good and compliant franchisee, if you will. Um, the, other, the other mistake I see is uh, partnering up with people that you don't need to partner up with. And actually I wrote a whole book about that called there is no us in business uh, and of course there is us in business but it most i don't know for whatever reason you have these extremely lone wolf type people and it, you know it comes time to start a business and it's like well i'm going to bring my friend jim in and he's going to be 50 50 and it's like no i mean it's they it the gold standard as far as i'm concerned is only bring someone into a business if you absolutely need that skill you can't buy it with dollars. You can only buy it with equity. Then that's fine. So if that, if and that that standard is very very rarely met. So as a result, most most businesses start off. I mean, if if they'll listen to me, it's like don't don't run out and get a partner, and don't bring on a cash partner until you absolutely must, and exhaust all other sources of capital before you decide to bring in a financial partner. Because, I mean, I've been. Um, so I have a story about that. I have a client and he had a very specialized business in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, and it required a machinist. And he was an engineer, wasn't a machinist. So he brought on a machinist as his 50-50 partner. And they expanded to Cincinnati, which is how I met him. And they, they needed to be close to power plants because of this particular procedure that they do. And it came time that you know they had to double up all the equipment. And finally, the, the machinist said, hey, I, I'm not signing in any more of these notes. I mean, what's going on here? And uh, so he came to me and said, you know, what am I going to do? And I said, well, let's see your buy-sell arrangement. And his buy-sell agreement had what's called a cutthroat agreement, which means you go to a meeting, you have your lawyer, and he has his lawyer, and you both put a number down. And at what number, at, you know, at, you put out a, a price that you'll be willing to buy him out for and a price that he'd, uh, you'd be willing to, to uh, uh, buy, buy him out or sell your shares. And uh, so he won the, the cutthroat. He paid, I forget what it was, a little over a million bucks, but he sold that business, the, the, uh, the whole business about five years later for $6 million. So he made the right call, but walking, he could have walked into that meeting with shares and walked out with a check and been, you know, would have been a, a major hit to his, to his net worth. So, you know, it just, they didn't share risk profiles. They didn't share entrepreneurial skills. And so, I mean, that's probably I mean, it's really not reduction to the absurd because those sorts of things happen all the time when you get bad advice. 
when it comes to uh, skills that an entrepreneur or a would-be entrepreneur wants to bring to the business, in addition to knowing what it is, that particular industry, how important have you found it is that they are really good at sales? Well, I mean, it, uh, one of the things I outline in the book is you, know, you have to do you know examination of your conscience to figure out you know what are you good at you know are you good at risk taking you know or how do you how do you feel about money are you a good listener and one of the the ten questions is can you sell because you know there's there's whether and I, you know I think selling I look at that pretty broadly and say you know selling is not just you know you getting in your car driving to a potential customer and and talking to him about you know, the advantages of your product or service over someone else's, but it's also being able to sell your ideas internally and you know, being able to communicate, I think is really what it boils down to and not just communicate, but communicate persuasively. And to me, that's selling, right? And it's, it's, it's not just done, it's done everywhere all day, all the time. And if that's, um, you know, it's interesting. I was just, I was with an entrepreneur. I'm coaching a CEO and he had, he bought his parents out of business and, um, you know, he's reaching that $20 million in sales mark. And he's kind of, kind of, uh, doesn't know where to, it, it, sort of bumping up against a ceiling and, uh, he's not a natural sales guy, nor is his brother, his partner. And it's like you, you know, he said, I don't know the CEOs, the companies that buy our product. I don't want to know, you know, so it's like, uh, okay, so I don't, it's like, well, Steve, you really can't do that. I mean, somebody in your organization at the, at the C level has to have a, has to have a, a uh, some sort of a uh, relationship with your customer at the C level, or you're, you know, you become commoditized over time. And, and you want, you want to, I just got off the phone with a, a client of mine who's, you know, in the, in the midst of, you know, $50 million companies in the midst of selling his half to his, his sons. And, you know, if his relationship here was with, with, you know, not me, but, you know, somebody who was with all due respect, 30, 35 years old, you know, the call about how to engineer the sale to his children, he wouldn't make it here. He'd go somewhere else. Right. So it's good to have a relationship sort of CEO to CEO. I suspect much of this book, you just kind of flew off your fingertips as you were writing it because of all the experience you've had. But what, as you put it down on onto your cathode ray tube or whatever it might be, flat screen, I guess these days, what's <laughs> what surprised you as you were as it was flowing out of your mind? Well, I, I think, well, and this is. Uh, uh, it was surprising to, to, I wish I'd have written the book for myself 20 years ago so that I wouldn't have made the mistakes that I made. And uh, particularly with respect to the first thing we discussed is adding some particular talent or, you know, vision to a product. And this was probably 25 years ago and I had an opportunity to buy into a rent to own business. And uh, I knew a lot about it because I'd done accounting work for this company for a while. And I was just convinced that we didn't need to do all the sales through a brick and mortar store that we could sell directly through apartment. We had a, a, a other client in town who had several hundred apartment units. And I thought clearly we can, we can sell these directly to 
you know, this was the right demographic, you know, it was the right, it was the rent to own customer. And um, it was, a I was just 100% wrong. You know, the, the, the individual that is the, uh, the um, resident manager at a nice apartment complex is a resident manager at an apartment complex because that's what he's able to do. He can't or she can't also be an agent for a rent and own store because if they could do two different things just as well as one thing, they wouldn't be doing the one thing they're doing. So I was um, I was absolutely mistaken, and it, you know it took us four or five years to get ourselves out of that sticky wicket. So uh, so I, I guess what I would say would when you start putting all this down, this is, I just had a conversation yesterday. We're going through a succession planning with a CEO and I had the, the person who's taking over the job and, and she was talking to the CEO and I, he said, you know, I need to start writing down all the things I know. And I said, you know, that's what my books are for me. You know, it, it's like, I end up, I don't even know, I know this stuff and you start writing. It's like, oh yeah, now here's the situation I know I can add value to. So if that's helpful. Now, what's been the reaction to this latest book? Uh, uh, good. I mean, my my uh, publisher said it was the best one I'd written. This is my fourth book. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think people can relate to it because, you know, particularly, I think there's a lot of baby boomers now that are out there thinking about what's next, and you know, uh, uh, going through a journey with somebody who has is on the on the verge of selling their company. I should say, I, but the first book I wrote was called Exit Velocity, and it was about a, an entrepreneur starting up his own business, and this is the same entrepreneur selling it. So I, I followed that person through. Um, so, you know, that's, it's um, good response. We've, we've had uh, a, um, uh, a number of, of requests for articles, so that's been good. I got a really good review on Goodreads this week, so an A-, minus. I thought that was good. Um, so, you know, it's, it's uh, and I have a lot of friends and and, and uh, fellow executives that have read it and it's like a it sounds like you which I think is good and b you know I saw a lot of things in there that a lot of mistakes that you prevented me from making because you'd already seen somebody else so that's heartening as well. Is there another book in the line? Oh, I don't know. That's that's a great question. I. Uh, I got a couple ideas rattling around in my head. It's, uh, um, yeah, I, I'm sure there is. It's a fun process for me. It, I I don't experience too much uh, writer's block. You get some sometime, but I find if you have a have a good idea, or, you know, and sometimes they're not good ideas. By the way, I, I did write a whole book that I submitted, and the publisher said it's not a book. So um, I don't. I still don't know why it wasn't a book, but I thought it had some good ideas and I've used some of the ideas in the other books. So it was, but it was a good, you know, I enjoyed the experience. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there is, you know, I, I don't know what necessarily it is. I mean, I think one of the things I've been thinking about is, uh, and, and I think it's something that people don't necessarily, you know, they think of, we all, you know, there's that, there's the, the golden egg here and we're thinking, hey, success, we know success is a journey you know, but, you know, there is a destination I want to get to. And um, what I, but then I always, I'm, I'm always, I always scratch my head at that because, you know, um, from what I understand, my son-in-law is a biblical scholar and he said, there's only been three times in the Bible as retirement is mentioned and each time it was a punishment. So 
I don't think my wife is telling him to say that, but as she probably would if asked. Um, so I, I think one of the things that people don't necessarily take into consideration is reinvestment risk. And it's like, hey, you know, I got a great offer for my company and, you know, um, I think I need to, and, and let me get, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of times, and this happens quite often, you know, and particularly in a technology sphere, there's going to be a time when your company may very well be worth way more to somebody else than it's ever going to be worth to you. So that's, to me, that's the time to sell, right? But now what are you going to do next? And I think that the, the solving the what's next riddle uh, is a, um, might be a book. Uh, because I it's think you not just got something... the, uh, the title of it right there. <laughs> yeah, what's next, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. So that's, I've been, that's been rattling around in my head like a BB in a boxcar. So that might be one. What would you like to add for our listeners and viewers that we haven't had a chance to talk about? Well, I, I think a critical part of, of, of any, well, hey, getting back to the mistake situation, right? Um, the, the, I think use good advisors, good advisors have seen, you know, I don't want to say they've seen everything, but you can certainly draft off of their experience. And I think so often people are, you know, Hey, uh, I got this opportunity and, you know, so-and-so's brother-in-law is, I know he does mostly, you know, tax work or he's a lawyer and he mostly does, you know, a personal injury, but I'm going to use him to help him put this business deal together. And it's like, not that that person's not talented, but it's, you know, he's going to be, or she's going to be learning with you. And that's, it's okay. I mean, let's face it. We all learn something in every deal, but you don't want it. You don't want every matter that comes up in that negotiation to be a case of first impression, as they say in the law, right? So you want them to have seen almost everything. And uh, I just had a conference call this morning with a, a group of people that are they're in the process of potentially merging these two companies. And um, it was just, they're, and, but none of them have ever done a deal before. So it was a really good call, but it was like everything I was telling them was absolutely they hadn't thought of, right? So. And I think I wonder now, and I, I mean, I feel good about the deal because I, I know I was, I was one of many that was interviewed and I was chosen. So it's like you kind of surprise yourself in a way that even though I don't know anything about their particular industry necessarily because it's highly specialized, I know how to put a deal together. And I think that's uh, find, finding somebody that's done it before and a bunch of times and, and somebody that's not learning on your dime is critical. Sometimes it must be very rewarding to do what you're doing. I suspect, though, there are other days when the frustration level must go through the roof. Well, it's it, interesting. I was just this group I was talking to today, and I think one of the things that you know, if you haven't been you know down the pike on a deal, time kills all deals. And you know, you've got people who are this. This I can tell that this situation has been been. I just, I'm just getting involved now, but I can see that it's been around for a few months and it's not gone anywhere. And not that every deal needs to be plotted out on a Gantt chart, but it kind of does. And, you know, people that isn't, you know, most professionals don't see it that way. I do because it's, you know, those, there's an anatomy to that and there's a, you know, there's a, uh, a process and there should be metrics. And if you don't, you know, it's going to be, 
that the deal is going to go sideways. And sometimes, I mean, I has, I just, we closed the deal right before the end of the year. And it went on, the process went on for 14 months. And um, I mean, it was, it was one of the most convoluted. So that, you know, as a result, and the other thing that happens, it's way more expensive because you're, you know, every time you pick it up, you know, something's changed and it's like, you don't remember every detail and it was pretty complicated. So, you know, that's that part of it that can get frustrating. Now, where can our listeners and viewers get more information about you and your company? I presume you must have a website, I would bet. Oh, uh, we do. It, it, it's uh, uh, berkcpa.com. Um, and um, like I said, it, it, all that information, uh, the, the book, The 10 Biggest Business Mistakes is available on Amazon. Um, if, if you read it and like it, please leave me a good review. Uh, if you read it and don't like it, um, forget I ever said anything, right? You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching.